to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 to my DJ, DJ Rock On, second generation. That's my twin brother in Chicago, for those who don't know. This is Mika Gazden. You're listening to Mic'd Up on Ohm. This is your weekly hour of activist radio here in Charleston, South Carolina. We're here to disrupt. We're here to be unapologetic AF. And I'm just happy to be back. I was off last week, y'all. Um, I went out of town. I had to replenish. I had to just, like, do me. And um, while I was away i came back with perspective and wanting to dive into something that's been trending all on social media um and i, I can't wait to jump in so I'm, I'm i'm here and i and i just called an audible um i'm gonna use that analogy that metaphor because i just came from my fantasy football draft call an audible and call my homie and ask him to, to roll through and let's talk about the things we talk about off mic so I got my friend right here. You can say what up. What up, what up, what up. All right. All right. Who are you? Uh, Benny. Benny Starr. <laughs> All right, Mr. Starr. Make sure your phone is on silent. It is on silent. <laughs> Mine isn't. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we. I wanted to I wanted to bring you in. I'm a little awkward right now, Benny, because it's Mike right here. Right. But I um, wanted to bring you in to talk about something that's been trending on social media, and not just social media, something that has really wrapped the attention of the entire country. I know a lot of uh, African-American folks who are into either um, social justice work, anti-racism work um folks are just really passionate about um creating equity and creating equality here in the united states are really excited about the 1619 project that the new york times just recently launched right and you and i were talking about this yeah ad nauseum of course um and i'm glad you're here because i just want to have a conversation yeah i don't even really want to do apply um a ton of scholarly um sensibilities to this Mm -hmm. um a because well i guess i am a scholar in some respects but i don't want to um, I don't want to call myself that uh, officially, but I just want to just talk about this project, like how it made you feel, takeaways. Um, I have been obsessed. I have had, have you gotten a chance to put your hands on it yet? No. Not yet? Not at all. Okay. Um, but, um, of course, because the 1619 Project is um, it's a historical reflection looking back on uh, the, the year, the importance of the year 1619, which was the, the year that really pretty much commemorates um, – when the transatlantic slave trade really began, when the first ship of slaves came to the United States, and we know how much of a role, um, we know how, how significant a role Charleston plays in that story of the transatlantic slave trade. And instead of rambling, I am going to grab a bunch of, um, I'm going to grab some, I'm going to make sure that I do the, the project justice and quote as much as possible. I'm going to play some clips from some um, online, uh, some online literature, or online, play some clips, I'm sorry, from some online video okay. that characterizes the show. I'm just trying to go to the beginning to give people a synopsis as to what the 1619 Project is. And this is a quote from the, the, the New York Magazine. This was published um, for print media on August 18th. That was Sunday, August 18th. And this actual launch took up the entire New York Times Magazine. Benny, you know about the New York Times Magazine because a few Sundays ago... Uh, you were in the, the New York Times, uh, <laughs> the Sunday Times, and we, and we, we you, you and I both talked about, you right. know, I think Elizabeth Warren was on the cover of that magazine. Yeah. So you, you kind of got familiar with how that looks. Exactly. But 
for me, someone who's read it on and off for years, it was amazing to see the 1619 Project take up the entire 100 pages. It's mind-blowing. And then, all right, so this is just the beginning. I'm going to read it directly from the 1619, um, the publication. In August of 1619, a ship appeared on, the hor- on this horizon near Point Comfort, uh, a coastal port in the British colony of Virginia. It carried more than 20 enslaved Africans who were sold to colonists. Uh, no aspect of the country that would be formed here has been untouched by the years of slavery that followed. I'm going to stop right there because um, what I really think is so powerful about and so bold about this, it, it really tackles the institution of slavery without any apology. And it starts, um, Benny, with the language. Mm. It didn't say slaves. It said enslaved Africans. Enslaved Africans. Right. And, and throughout the project, throughout the essays, throughout the... The, um, the fiction and all, the, all of the um, supplemental materials, they use very deliberate language to make sure that folks characterize what this institution was. And it doesn't just focus on black pain. Um, so that, right. I, And I know you're still waiting to get your hands on it, but um, you do know, cause, because of all the content they've released, mm-hmm. you know there's fiction and, and other, there's just so many imaginative um, tools that they use to really illustrate what um, being descendants of enslaved folk is like and mm. this the significance of this 400-year history. Right. Share your thoughts on, like, what, you know, how this project moved you. <sighs> I think being from South Carolina, <laughs> living here, growing up here mm-hmm. all this time, it just gives you a sense that... <laughs> it gives me a sense of how strong my people had to be right. how much they endured right and the fact that they shouldn't have had to been that strong mm-hmm. all the time you know some of that stuff is unbearable all of that stuff really is unbearable and the humanity of people we often even me i used to say slaves right me too you come up saying that slaves yeah. slaves mm-hmm. slaves mm-hmm. you know those are your ancestors right, right. but just right that subtle enslaved African people brought to a place where you don't speak the language. You don't, when you hear all this talk about, well, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you revolt? And why didn't you start? Like, And that's such a myth because we find out through projects like this that rebellion was a key aspect of of bondage, the life of bondage of the enslaved. And, you know, the opening part that I just read, I know Mm. I didn't do it to due diligence. Um, you know, it says no aspect of the country that we that would be formed. And mm-hmm. talking about United States of America, no aspect of this country is untouched. So you're talking about capitalism. You're talking about trade. You're talking about um, mm. education systems. You're talking about even infrastructure and traffic. Right. Um, shout out to, I believe, Kevin Cruz, uh, the historian, who wrote an essay um, it, within the project that talks about why the gridlock in Atlanta is a direct result of segregation and other vestiges of slavery. And so that's one thing that I really took from it. Also, too, you talked about how strong our ancestors, our foremothers and our forefathers had to be. Man, we still see, like, we see remnants. We still see the residue of what, like, not even, like, ancestors. Like, maybe our aunties and our grandmothers, like, um, you know, had to deal with. Now, you're you're spending a lot of time in in Pineville. Pineville is what you call home. That's your hometown. Right. What do you see in Pineville that kind of, like, makes you think about 1619 and... and Oh, it's very interesting. I go to the end of our road, and if I go to the left, maybe a mile, there's Mm -hmm. Francis Marion's gravesite. Right. Right. 
the Swamp Fox, the swamp you know, fox. Francis Marion who fought for the revolution, uh, the American Revolution, who owned look, slaves. Yeah, right, who owned slaves, yep. <laughs> Very much so owned slaves, and, right. and, and some, some things that you will read says, talks about his, his cruelty towards them. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, if and I go to the right, uh-huh. maybe two miles, two and a half miles, there's Maud Callen's clinic. You know, black woman who came here from Florida as an Episcopal missionary, part of my church that I grew up in, mm. um, brought health care to people that, you know, would, would not have otherwise had health care. Right. Taught a whole generation of midwives, delivered babies all throughout Berkeley all County. All because we weren't, we weren't allowed. Exactly. Our, 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 our descendants weren't allowed to even um, have access to hospital care. So, you know, that separate but equal was not just about right. schools. It was... Um, about so much other things that service uh, basic services and needs that we rely upon right. in Maud Callen's clinic like you mean you and I talk about this a lot mm-hmm. you know she created that network and yeah, yeah the the county gave her and I'm using air quotes mm-hmm. gave her some resources but she had to create that because the infrastructure wasn't there and she was she was right. doing it before exactly before, before that, that. Mm-hmm. like decades before that right. Um, right you go further down past even uh, Francis Marion's uh, gravesite and, and there's a marker okay. further down near this near this road called White Bridge Road and it's crazy because <laughs> some of my family were just talking we, we pass by this stuff all the time and we see it all the time and it basically is a marker that talks about how it's indigenous land mm. this 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 town uh, was originally indigenous land mm. uh, col- colonists came mm-hmm. through set up shop mm-hmm. uh, the indigenous people were like nah right. and they defended the right to their land and also you have black people uh, even it's they, their participation is erased in the marker when you read that marker that talks about Edie Town. It's erased from uh, there. It's erased. It's not stated that black men and women dug this old Santee Canal wow. that connected middle of South Carolina to the ports of Charleston in order to ship imports and agricultural product. Cap- Otherwise, they did not have that. Capitalism. You know. Yeah, I think I think, and I'm saying that word. Yeah, like like okay, be specific. But but honestly, this is the um, Charleston is home to so many. Like they refine the practice of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where, and you'll hear in a clip, I believe you hear. You know, this is where, you know, um, the pe- people understood how to incentivize labor, and I use the word incentive um, specific in a specific way because by ins- the the incentive for a lot of labor as it pertained to black and brown people, but specifically the enslaved, the, the incentive was pain and, and torture and punishment right. um, and, and a host of other things, torture, you name it. Um, that was all perfected in towns and areas like Pineville. Oh, definitely. Right. You mentioned something, too, about Pineville being, you said they dug a trench right. to, uh, to, to come uh, for a waterway to be created, a right. canal that could transport goods and, exactly. and to Charleston. How is there, is there a connection between that area and Charleston? Definitely. Well, th- this is the interesting part. Prior to Reconstruction, mm-hmm. basically, this is 22 miles. This is roughly about 22 miles of the old Santee Canal that was dug. And the majority of the labor, if not almost all of the labor, was by black men and black women, enslaved black men and black women, dug it with nothing but, you know, shovels and pitchforks. And it so, connected. So no machinery. No machinery, mm-hmm. right? A lot of them died caught the fever it talks about that um but basically it connected again the middle of the the middle of south carolina to be able to ship those agricultural goods and things that they needed to get to the port of charleston the interesting thing is what is now berkeley county pineville uh is a part of berkeley county along with monk's corner st stephen cross south carolina these other smaller towns it was previously all charleston county 
So all of that was previously Charleston County until about 18, I believe, 1882 or the 1880s. I didn't even know that, yo. Yeah, during Reconstruction, <laughs> then in, they it became Berkeley County. Right. And it, it, the head of it moved to, uh, the seat of the county moved to Mount Pleasant, and then from Mount Pleasant to Monk's Corner. Amazing. Imagine how all of that impacted the um, the commercial landscape, right? Imagine, like, so when you rezone or redistrict areas and either um, – take place take you know cut charleston out or increase or or, you know or or make it bigger or whatever imagine how that impacted industry how that impacted how people um what what people moved where because we know that those lines probably were drawn specifically to accommodate white people white wealth white homes white businesses i'm sure and keep black folk in more rural and uh secluded places right i'm gonna do some station identification i don't think i'm gonna take a break today because i just really am excited it's already 12 minutes past that's like almost a quarter of the show going <laughs> i'm excited to talk about today on um, um we're talking about the 1619 project that right. was published in this and um on august 18th on the sunday times um the Sunday New York Times, uh, and I'm going to read again before I give more station identification. I'm going to read again uh, the project. I guess the the, um, the abstract in the beginning of the piece. It says the 1619 project is a major initiative from the New York Times, observing the 400th anniversary of the beginning of the American of American slavery. Right. It aims to. I love the G cosine. Oh yeah. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Right. <laughs> uh, it aims to ref- reframe the country's history, understanding. 1619 as our true founding, not 1776. Right. And placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. I'm just going to read that last sentence one more time. Okay. It says, understanding 1619 as our true founding and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. And let me tell you something. When projects center the black experience, when it, it, it brings back our humanity, it shows us as more than just um, people who can't get out of their own way, which is what people think. Right. There's so many reasons why the state of black America, that there's so much disparity and in, in, in wealth and health. It's so many reasons why. And they all link directly back to slavery. Yes, 1692 was, was 400 years away or 400 years ago, but that does not mean that what was created then at the the founding of this country um, has it, that cannot and won't affect us now. This is 96.3 FM OM Radio. This is mic'd up on OM. Your host right here is Mika Gadsden. The girl is going to go on and on and on and on and on about the 1619 Project. And I'm here with my friend Benny Starr just to have a conversation about this piece. Which he and I both, I don't even own the piece, but I, you know, like Benny, I frequent the library. So, of course... Um, and I have a subscription to the New York Times. And, you know, I, I found a way to get to it at least either in PDF form um, or um, d- digital form and written. I've been able to get my hands on it and read it. Tempted to take it from the library or rather liberate it from the library. But <laughs> I understand how subversive and essential the library is. So I don't want to rob anyone else of that joy of reading the, right. <laughs> the New York Times Magazine um, edition. Um, you know, you uh, that last sentence I mentioned, um, what I love about the 1619 Project is that it does center the black experience. And being residents here or people here who live in Charleston and work in Charleston County and, and co- you know, do activism right. uh, uh, work here, social justice work here, I just, the, the ties 
the ties to slavery and the, that institution. It's they, everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. Literally everywhere. Yeah. You got people get married on plantations. What uh, and what do we call them now? We call them. Um, and I got this from Edward Baptiste, his book on capitalism. Labor camps. They are labor camps, and in this yeah. in this project, what I learned that um, the uh, the editor. I follow her on Instagram, um, and I know her as Ida Bay Wells, um, but Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, she calls them forced labor camps. Right. So that takes it even a step further than Edward Baptiste, and it's so accurate. Right. And so people, and, and I just came from the Halsey, uh-huh. because it's Moja time right now, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of art around the city that, that centers the black experience, thankfully. Um, and that's one of the things that I saw, the installation I saw by um, Colin... Um, Kwashi, uh, he had a specific piece about... His work is very dope. Yo, I follow, I've seen that work on Instagram for a while. Yeah. Um, he's, he's using this, like, digital collages that feature Kanye, commentary on Kanye West, commentary on Colin, Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick, yeah. Jack uh, Johnson, the mm-hmm. acclaimed by Louis Armstrong, Harriet Tubman, even. And when I was at the, at the Halsey, Benny, um, there he had one piece, one digital collage that showed, like, those classic figurines you would see on a wedding cake like the bride and groom right um it was a white figurine so a white bride and groom so imagine that you know go to a cake shop and but in the in the bride's hand as opposed to just a, a floral bouquet it's a bloom of 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 cotton and then so he superimposed or he just placed that image that color image of the the bridal cake figurines in front of an, a black and white antique image of slaves um, both men, women, and children um, on a plantation. And it was commentary on how we've sanitized what plantations are, what labor camps are. Right. And we've kind of, we've created, um, we've, not we, let me stop saying we. <laughs> right. Um, how places like Charleston institutions and, you know, this what this country has done is, is added a, a air of sentimentality mm. to that. What does that make you feel like? Like when you see like people getting married on plantation, I know I have some friends who probably got married. On I'm sure, <laughs> but it it I think it it shows how deep the programming is. The conditioning. The conditioning, right. yeah. It shows how deep that is, and it shows how even we're conditioned to not consider what really went down on those places, not to really consider the humanity of people who had to suffer daily, who had to do the things that they were forced forced to do right it was human beings owning other human beings being sold and moved around as property and it basically built america it built the city definitely and it built the rest of america but we still see it all around i'm gonna read a little bit from the um so what i love about the the ex- exhibition at the halsey it features two artists so um uh, i'm gonna link a lot of this in the show notes of of, of my show that you can find on soundcloud mic'd up um, but I'm going to read to you. Um, it, so the piece I, I just mentioned was called The Wedding Party. And this is the context he gave. And I love that they have this available um, for us to, to kind of grab off the wall and walk with. It says, for some, the award-winning film, 12 Years a Slave, offered a glimpse into the, the searing interior of a plantation. For others, it was a well-produced feature-length wedding video. The sentiment, mm, I'm going to mess with this word. The sentimentalizing of plantations engender a dangerous and selective nostalgia which omits the crimes of rape, abuse, and dehumanization of blacks and replaces them with the, the commercial gloss of a big white wedding. And that just knocked my socks off. That knocked my socks off because that's exactly what happens. Um, 
you know, shout out to the McLeod, uh, I'm going to call a plantation for the sake of just the show, the McLeod right. Plantation, because they're the only plantation I know that really centers the black experience. And I know there's been a lot of commentary also about people who come to plantations and they're upset when the plantations center the black experience to talk explicitly about slavery, about the forced labor, about the rebellion, about the fleeing mm -hmm. their masters. A lot of people are upset when they come to Charleston and they get the unvarnished truth. What do you think that is? <laughs> White people. <laughs> this, this, this is just a fact. Right. This is just, this is just a fact. Um, when you want to be told something that is, you know, a co is comfortable. Right. It's, a, it's a lie that makes you feel comfortable. It makes you feel better about yourself and it makes you feel better about your lack of action. It makes you feel better about your lack of being incensed that this actually happened to people and it's not over when you say well slavery is over slavery's been over since mm. such and such and such mm. you know my great-grandma passed a couple years ago she was 102 mm. and I can imagine some of the things that she I remember conversations about the way things were mm. and in in very rural South Carolina mm. you know the thing the places cameras don't go you know and we still see a lot of these things here today, and it's interesting when you talk about artists, mm. well, because I have a lot to say about artists and even art in Charleston. Man, let's talk about that. That's what got us revved up. Like, who, child? <laughs> I'm not. I, I mean, you tell me I'm creative. I am your creative director, so I need to lean in. But, <laughs> but no. Nah, but like, I'm. I'm just like taken aback by the arts and culture scene here, and, and people who follow me on Twitter, um, Charleston Activist. Charleston Activist Network on Twitter and Instagram mm -hmm. and Facebook. I've just gone off about the the arts culture here. We get no, there's no, here's the thing. Please Before we even start talking about institutional support for black art, mm -hmm. there's none of that. That part. There's none of that. There, now, there's so, one-offs. One there was one-offs, of course, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. There are one-offs, but the there really isn't any institutional support for black art here. And the crazy thing is, before we even get to talking about like whether or not we have institutional support, if they just move some of the opposition out of the way, there was not a whole lot of institutional support for a water album mm -hmm. when we decided to do a water and that's, album. That's your your album. Yeah, when we decided we were going to record an album live at the Charleston Music Hall, record it live, uh, perform it, debut the music, record it live, get it pressed to vinyl. It was a group of creators who were like, hey, this is what we're going to do. What do we need to do to make this happen? And we made it happen. There was not a big rush of institutional support. You when, mean to tell me you didn't have, like, sponsors lined up at the door, Benny? No. Oh. We, we went and we sought out sponsors, and a lot of those sponsors just happened to be regular, everyday people. Mm -hmm. Some of them were businesses that we would frequent that always uh, uh, have the arts in mind and always support the arts, but a lot of them supported on the grounds like yo we just rock with what y'all doing and we want to see more of this but as far as institutional really institutional support from the arts uh uh in charleston we didn't really have any of that that's why, and yeah. matt monday didn't have any of that right. when he did culture and that's kind of wild to me because after you did a, a water album i'm thought i thought that people were like oh wow this brought in how many people like about a thousand? a thousand people we sold out a thousand seat venue with with music that people never heard before never Recording it live, bringing in John Golden and his photography, who's been taking photography of floodwaters in Charleston for 10 years. Right. Bringing in the 420s. The 420s right. deserve to be on that stage by themselves. Right. So what do you think it is that prevents black folk, like going back to the 1619 project and what <laughs> it outlines, what do you think about the pro what the project attempts to tackle? How do you think that informs why there's still barriers in 2019 for black artists and black artistry? Because you have people who don't want to give up their power. Mm. Straight up. You have people who don't want to get up, give up their power. And, and it's amazing to me because when 
I'm not even talking about give me institutional support. Just give me the funding you would give to people who you piss, piss away the funding with. Right. You know, right. I'm not even asking for that. I'm just I'm just saying move out of the way. Right. We do the most with the least. Right. We have been doing the most with the least That's our tradition. for a long, long time. And when I watch what we have to do with with the little that we're given, we're just saying, hey, you got a wall blocking me right now. If you just knock a little hole in that wall so I can get through that, I'll put a thousand people in this venue. It's going to it's going to be an incredibly robust artistic experience. If you just knock a little hole in that wall, you know what Matt Monday is going to do? He's going to put seven, eight hundred, nine hundred people in Royal American parking lot for a all black festival with black music, a spectrum of black music. Right. A while, and that so let me just pump you break because you me and yeah. I are gonna get like real. this is um again this is station identification um this is mic'd up on ohm you're listening to ninety six point three FM ohm radio we're broadcasting live from fifteen oh three King Street this is the ohm uh, radio studios here at workshop and um, remember that ohm we need your support please head to the ohm website www.ohmradio963.org uh, <laughs> please support ohm because this is one of the last era places where you can find local radio that's commercial free um, that's not beholden to kind of like the big stakeholders um, just please support um, my omies here um, at the radio station and keep programming like this going um, yeah today we're talking about the 1619 project mm. that was uh, recently published in the Sunday New York Times and is now available online again um, if you listen to Miked Up on SoundCloud and on iTunes. I'll have links to all of the the content, um, the PDF version of um, the 1619 Project. I'll have all that in the show notes of the show once I upload it, no later than tomorrow, um, if not this evening. Um, but we're talking here, me and Benny Starr are talking about um, the 1619 Project and how it directly kind of correlates to present-day Charleston, South right. Carolina, and how it, it, it really does inform how we go about, you and I both go about uh, doing the work we do, right. either um, as activists or as, um, you know, I support you. Everyone who knows knows that I work with you, for mm-hmm. you, um, to support your art. Uh, and so this informs what we have to take on. Right. And um, I think it's no. I think it's okay for me to say that. You know, one thing since you and I became both friends, and since I became um, a, a key figure, um, definitely within your team. Right. You know, I've been telling you to to, to go into these venues and start demanding <laughs> more. Can you can you talk about no, like yeah. yeah like I don't know how you internalize that. Like, why do I ask you? What do you think I ask you to ask for more? It, and you know what? It's mm-hmm. important to say it is not just it's not just art. And we know that. And we hope the listener understands that as well. It's right. Culture. It's not just art. It's culture. Yeah. And, and these vestiges of, of, of white supremacy and slavery. Mm-hmm. It, it, it connects to everything. So it's health, health disparity. Right. Mm-hmm. Education, housing, density, zoning. All these things. So there are many things. Art is just the uh, the, the the industry or the, the sector that I do the majority of my work in, right? Mm-hmm. Saying no is powerful. Mm, what you and say I had no to learn to that. Yeah. Right. What you say no to matters. And, and I'm opening a bottle of water. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no. uh-huh. What you say no to does matter. I had, I had to tell a lot of people no. I had to tell a lot of institutions. I had to tell a lot of key figures and folks here know when they will come to me and say hey what about how about we do this and 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 i think this would be a good idea if we did that and i had to say no Mm -hmm. no this is what i need this would be what i need to pull this off to do it correctly and what i realize is not a lot of them want to do it correctly not a lot of people not a lot of these the folks 
who run or who are the heads of this or who have the resources to shift in the direction of an artist to be able to say, hey, I know the importance and the value of art and this is what we're trying to do. Don't bring me in at the very end when you just want me to jump up on stage. They don't have any vision. Don't just, don't just bring me in at the end once you've concocted the whole vision and say, well, we want you to get on stage. And Myself, artists like myself, Matt Monday, Ill Vibe, The Try, I can go on and on. There are a lot of artistic, creative people between Charleston and North Charleston and Berkeley County and Dorchester County. We have the vision. We understand. We've shown you time and time again, even with the opposition that's in our way, what we're able to do because we are connected to the culture. We understand what people are feeling because we're feeling it too. We understand what people are experiencing because we're experiencing too. And we're trying to push the culture in a place of more enlightenment. We're trying to push the culture in a place where people can see themselves represented and see the value in themselves because they see themselves reflected in programming and curation and everything that's going on. But that requires you to divest of some of the power that you have or some of the power that you've amassed if you are in a very important figure on a board or the director of this thing. They do not want to do that. So don't come to me thinking that you're going to get Benny for cheap. Or even just put your put use your uh, the the capital you've cre- uh, earned or you've amassed with right. their people like people trust you and that's what I mean when I say right. for for cheap yeah. I'm not it, right. everything that we've been working right. to do right. for the culture for the community you can't just say oh yeah well you know I, I, I'll pay you this immediately yeah. no no right. trust black people right. Right. They don't want to do that. And I think, oftentimes, and I think uh, you mentioned uh, Matt Mur- Monday's festival that took place in April. Um, Incredible. Th- the thing about that too, you said I caught on to what you said. Matt made sure that he had a lineup that was complete with a wide array of black art. So uh, Ja Junior sounds nothing like Contour. Right. Contour sounds nothing like Nisi uh, Nisi Blues. Right. Uh, Nisi Blues doesn't sound anything like Shaniqua. Right. Um, so on and so on. You know, and um, I think for a long time. A lot of the excuse was, oh, well, hip-hop's not safe. Mm-hmm. It's going to bring fights. It's going to bring violence. Mm-hmm. And that array, that wide variety showed that, no, 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 no. Like, right. um, you know, that's an antiquated, you know, that's an antiquated kind of ideal of what hip-hop is. And this is not, you know, the 90s and this is not gangster rap. This is, right. you know, and um, it's about trusting, yeah, trusting black folk, having a vision, but also about seeing the seeing the legitimacy of that art form. Hip hop is the number one music genre in the country, probably the world. <laughs> right. I say that, but I'm. It's very just what it is. The I'm only Western. it's the only music genre yeah. with a culture. With a culture. There's really no blues culture. So, so that's what I put my. I didn't mean to cut you off, no, but you're good. that's one thing too. If you um, again, I'm going to provide a link to the presentation of the 1619 project, which they live streamed. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, and it's on YouTube. And I've been using those. Uh, I've been taking uh, cuts of videos from that presentation uh, and, and, and putting them on my um, IG stories and on Facebook. And one thing I loved about watching the it's about two hours long. They got to a point about music. That's mm-hmm. the thing about the 1619 project is not about just us suffering. It shows the complete humanity, the compute, the complete picture of Black life right. um, from the first slave ship. To, to present day, and they talk about like the Motown sound. Oh yeah. They talk about, um, you know, you said you just said it, black culture. Right. Where this hip hop and on and it's a derivative of, of the soul and blues exactly. music. Exactly. All Jazz, it's like yeah. it's is outside of indigenous. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the original culture and music of this country. Right. Yeah, and and then you would think that a place like Charleston would just like I'm all in. 
but they see hip hop in such antiquated and, and fearful ways. Because the people who are in power, right. oftentimes, it's such a it trickles down from South Carolina as a whole, right? And especially in Charleston, right? Um, there's a Nasir Jones Fellowship at Harvard. Is it really? There's a Nasir. Do y'all Jones know who Nasir Jones is? Fellowship. Who's Nasir Jones? At Harvard, you know, Illmatic. It was written Nas. You know, the great, mm-hmm. the great the Nas. You know, yeah, the, you had Nas. Bun, you had Bun B from yeah. UGK teaching at Rice. Right. Swiss Beats. You know, Swiss Beats at Harvard. You had Ninth Wonder at Duke. Yeah, at Duke. You know what I'm saying? Hip hop. I I don't see many other genres where you take luminaries from the genre and they're introduced even into an academic setting where they can use the culture, use everything, use the innovation, everything to teach. To teach. And and at at this point, I still have institutions who, I, I, if I'm sitting in a meeting with you, they'll they'll look they'll tap me on my shoulder and say, "But is it safe enough for the children?" I mean, I remember you. We're not gonna mention names. We will eventually when when you write your book when you yeah. do the documentary. Yeah, and I'll be like, Maybe. and I don't cry wolf, you know. <laughs> no, and that's, that's important. One thing about you. That's important. Yeah. I, and and I want my <laughs> other artists to know, like people here, if you see me doing anything with another artist, believe that I have fought for them, right? And, and, and we have a type of relationship where I know they have fought for me as well. So if you're a venue owner or if you're anybody, whether I'm telling you yes, whether I'm telling you no, whether we're in negotiations, do not think you can disrespect the artist that I'm also bringing to the table with me that's going to be a part of this experience. Don't think you can disrespect them and not disrespect me as well. You can't, it, it, I can't compartmentalize in that way. So you either have to respect everything we're bringing to the table or nothing at all. And in that case, if that happens, say no. Say no, because when you don't say no, you make it harder for the people and who are trying to come part, up. And that's where I, and you and I, it's so funny because you and I occupy, occupy such different spaces here in Charleston. And sometimes and sometimes our worlds collide. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what I've been telling people in terms of these nonprofit, the, the nonprofit industrial complex. You know, you don't want to ever remove your own agency, A, so don't give it up. Don't forfeit it to some other entity that's promising you to fix all of your ills. But the other part is, too, you have to start weighing the consequences of that engagement. Right. And how much do you really benefit? benefit by letting that force into your life how much does that how and why are they courting you the reason that they're courting you means that you have value because you're you the have, ticket you're the ticket like in one thing when um, when you and i became friends first um and then you know started to work more with your music and your art later but as, as friends first mm-hmm. um one thing i noticed and it's no shade no tea but people were calling you up and you you were a little bit more generous with your time and, and, oh and, definitely and, and and I and I remember the 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 conversations we had heated and otherwise about you know will you saying no cause a rift mm-hmm. and I think you and I both have paid the price of saying no to things that sound really awesome right that that may even been lucrative but we just couldn't commit to it and we might pay an immediate um, penalty but oh, I def- think in yeah. the long run yeah the, the no probably benefited us oh definitely here's the thing. And I just got to speak from personal experience because that's... Are you still alive? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I'm, I want people to hear what you have to say. No. Yeah. Me and Matt, I, I always pair myself with Matt because we literally, we're, we're roughly, the, basically the same age we met in college. And we, we started pursuing, we've been pursuing this hip-hop journey in a lot of ways together. Um, us looking at each other and be like, hey, what you doing, what you doing? There was none of what it is now. There was no coverage. Right. There's a gap where you can go past 2000, whatever, 10 or 11. You can't even find any any articles in Charleston covering hip hop and the artists who were here, who were actually connected to the. Co- there was nothing. There was no ability to do an op. There was no collaborations. Right. There was no respect for what we were doing. Right. 
and when 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 now artists have some of that at their disposal understand it's still important for you to say no and understand that you're valuable because you wouldn't be being covered right if nobody was interested if nobody would be reading it if nobody would be tuning in so it's okay to demand more because when you demand more, you get more. Let me and let me tie this back to sixteen nineteen for those that are wondering like why are you having this conversation? It it really is all related and, and I hope you understand as well. Um, if you do any type of anti oppression work, you know that all oppression is linked. Mm-hmm. Um, we are centering this discussion around or in the sixteen nineteen project that was launched by the New York Times. Uh, on August 18th, um, and it just has exploded. So it's a social media and a real-life phenomenon. There are 16, 19 brunches going on, uh, mm-hmm. discussions, lectures. I, I, I tweeted at one of my favorite professors in South Carolina, uh, Dr. John Hill, up at, at USC. asked him, did he know of any academics or classrooms that are, are bringing the 1619 Project inside the classroom? Um, so I'm, I can't. I look forward to hearing his response. Um, and and why, what does that have to do with the current stage of arts and culture here in Charleston? It has everything to do with it. Um, as I read at the beginning, there's no aspect of slavery that has not touched any aspect of current life today in America for black people and for white people and for right. non-black POC people. Right. Um, and so when you talk about barriers to entry in terms of um, access to venues, which we, yes, I have talked about that before on the show. Yes, I have invited Benny to talk about that. Mm. But because we're impacted by this literally every day, it's important to con- con- constantly litigate why we are still fighting the same fight that perhaps someone in the 90s fought for just to have their music heard right. in a city like Charleston. And what this, and you talked about saying no and the power of that and kind of reclaiming some of your agency. What I take from 1619 is that um, it really made me, and I know I read a lot, and, and um, I had no idea about the significance of this, of this anniversary. I'm going to keep it 100. I'm going to keep it a buck. I, I did not, this, this number 1692 was nowhere in my periphery at all, nowhere at the forefront, the back, nothing of my mind. Mm. And so when I read this, when I started to read and dive into uh, much of the work, it empowered me. Mm-hmm. And it also showed me, you mentioned this too, Benny, it reminded me how, who we come from. Oh, yeah. And what they fought through. Yeah. And again, I mentioned at the at the top of the show, I went to the Halsey today, um, and I have the I'll I'll get it out. I read the, what the exhibition is 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 called. I don't want to mis misname it, but I I looked at these artists who take our our lived experience here, our historical lived experience here, our historical trauma, and turn it into import, important art. And I know that we we do that because of the nest out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And I think too. It feels as if black people have to constantly remind people that we're human. We're fully formed humans. We're fully formed people that are entitled to um, full access to democracy. Right. We're entitled to full access to health care, to education. You just name the area. We're, we're entitled to live. We're entitled to exist and thrive. And the project kind of reminds me of that. So when you outline the struggles you've had as an artist and the power of no, um, it immediately makes me jump back to some of the fiction I wrote. Um, before I'm going to read off some more um, content from the project, and then I'm going to play a short clip, um, which uh, is a very, again, it's a two-hour talk that I'll have in the show notes a link to. But I love how much I, ha- I kept hearing Charleston. I kept hearing about John C. Calhoun, about the Gullah language, the Gullah Geechee language. It's all throughout all of this work um, in the 1619 Project that you can get online. Um, but real quick, let me just rattle off some names. Uh, of course, we said that Nicole Hannah-Jones, a.k.a. Ida Baywells on Twitter, she's the editor. and She was mm-hmm. the, 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 the woman that led this project, Benny. Right. Um, she, she, uh, I'm just going to read a couple of contributors. 
Danielle Brown, excuse me, Danielle Bowman, uh, Linda Villarosa, who wrote an excellent piece on healthcare and black bodies. Please, uh, Linda Villarosa, uh, Wesley Morris, who I believe he wrote about the music piece. Jamel Bowie, who is he is my favorite. I watch him almost every every time he's on Face the Nation. Um, Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson mm-hmm. is the man um, that you all know. HBO just did a documentary on him. Um, just Mercy. They, that book. That, the book Just right. Mercy. But basically his uh, monument to uh, the lynch uh, the lynching memorial down in um, Alabama, Alabama just uh, was the recipient of a huge award mm. um, and it's such a brave exhibition that I'm, I look forward to, to visiting. Right. Um, those are just some of the Kevin Cruz, a historian that I love to follow on Twitter, um, Joshua Bennett. Mm. Um, so those are just some of the names of folks who are uh, contributors, either uh, fiction or like I said, healthcare, talking about infrastructure, talking about obstructionism and government. Jamel Bowie does a great job with that. Talking about capitalism, explicitly talks about capitalism in this piece and it starts right on a plantation. Right. The birthplace of capitalism in America, modern day capitalism, it was birthed on a plantation. Right. Um, and so um, instead of getting into um, a number of things and reading verbatim, I'm going to play this clip, Benny. I'm going to leave our mics hot. So okay. just, just so you know, um, I want you also to listen while we play it. Usually mm-hmm. when I play audio, I don't listen. But the, the, following, lip, um, the following clip is from the New York Times uh, presentation of the 1619 Project. So, they, you know, of course, they had this, this huge event up in New York where they, um, you know, I guess invited a bunch of guests in the audience to come and just, and they presented the project, and they invited a few contributors. Um, the first contributor, I believe, she is from, let me get her, let me see if I got this right. Um, of course, this Wi-Fi is, like, janky. Um, they, I, I'm, I'll include some information in notes, but we have a woman, you're going to hear a woman from the Smithsonian, um, who uh, the Smithsonian also partnered with the New York times to provide a supplemental, um, piece that was, um, the paper version that was included within the paper, but the New York times magazine is where the project itself is housed. So you're going to hear right now in this clip, how the 1619 project, um, how it, it talks about Charleston. So I'll play that right. Make sure this is up. All right, I'll leave our mics hot. So the next image is the ballast stone. Ah, uh, the ballast stone. So we have a program called the Slave Rex Project. We go around and we look at slave shipwrecks around the world. We try to identify them, authenticate them, and raise artifacts from the ocean floor. The ballast stone is from the Sao Jose, a slave ship that left Lisbon, went to Mozambique, picked up captive Africans, was on its way to Brazil to sell them into slavery in Brazil. It crashed off the coast of South Africa. There were 512 enslaved Africans on board, 212 perished. The others were saved. Why? Because they were property and therefore profit. They were sold into slavery. But the ballast stone, what's important about that is it was the marker that helped us identify the ship because ballast stones offset the human weight so the ships wouldn't turn over. Through doing archival research and maritime archaeology, we were able to identify this ship because the records show that there were 14 ballast stones, 1,400 ballast stones aboard this ship. And when you think about it, think about how we read our landscape. Ballast stones cover the streets in Charleston, South Carolina. They come in different forms. In St. Croix, the ballast stones cover all of that landscape in the form of yellow bricks. So this is history in plain sight. You can't mitigate slavery. There's no such thing as a little bit of slavery. 
And then the last image we're going to talk about is the low country basket. First, tell me why this was important for you to include and then tell us why it matters. The low country basket, like the other artifacts, open up a conversation about many different things. One thing that is extremely important is people say, well, they came with nothing. Really? We came with empty hands, but we did not come with empty heads. We have memories of our grandmothers, our food ways, the way we dressed ourselves, our governmental organizations, our military power, our intellect. And so people came with empty hands, but their intellect helped create an economic system that made this nation a powerhouse. When we went to visit the rice fields in Charleston, and we went to a place called Caw Caw, the gentleman there who oversees that historic site said that a group of German engineers, hydraulic engineers, said there's no way anyone could recreate the landscape that these intellectual people of African descent created. Wow. This is Mika Gadsden. You're listening to my, right? Right? Wow. Isn't that crazy? Um, crazy in a great way. Um, this is Miked Up on OM. You're listening to 96.3 FM OM Radio. We're broadcasting live from Workshop. Workshop is located at 1503 King Street. So if you're ever in the, in the area, you can come and, and see um, us, either myself or someone else in this uh, cube doing a show or performing. Uh, today I'm talking with my friend Benny Starr about the 1619 project uh, that was launched in the New York Times um, and, and, you know, and with a host of other partners, including the Smithsonian. Um, I will say that I don't even pay attention to the people who refute the validity or the, the legitimacy of the project. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's filled with so much historical fact. Right. Um, it's irrefutable. I think people just don't like to talk about it. Um, but um, I wanted to just make sure that we have a conversation, and you've done this so well with the arts, the, uh, with your, your personal journey here as an artist. Um, and I mentioned this, I think, earlier than I got off track, but I've been having a very lively discussion about our arts and culture uh, climate or environment here uh, in Charleston. And I saw a tweet online. I saw a recent article published on, uh, in the Post and Courier about how Charleston didn't make it to the SMU Data Arts top 10 cities list mm-hmm. um and it's a city it's, uh, it's a list that's put together by the institution the smu smu is what college again um uh, so, uh southern southern method is it yeah southern Methodist. Methodist. just right yeah. um i should know this because larry brown went there i think <laughs> yeah i, I think should know did. this my sports trivia is oh man you're <laughs> gazy right now yo uh but i know yes yeah, because larry brown is a trip um <laughs> full of ncua right. violation anyway so anyway, SMU does have a disreputable um, data organization uh, that ranks cities and ranks their their, their what what call, what is a robust and vibrant arts and culture scene. Right. In the last fifteen minutes that we have to talk about both the sixteen nineteen project and the current state of arts and culture here in Charleston, let's let's kind of t- tie that in because. Um, to be honest with you, um, the article that I rejected the premise and shout out to, to Maura. Um, I spoke with her before uh, following the Halsey's exhibition, the, the Cry Joy Park, which I was um, thoroughly unimpressed with and, and had took issue with the uh, the artist uh, and her 
uh, approach to slavery and other oppressive institutions. However, I had a very thoughtful and great conversation with Maura, and I believe in her work and her reporting. However, the premise of the article she wrote said that, you know, how do we fix not being on this, this uh, SMU data arts top 10 list? And um, it's a data-driven list. Mm-hmm. So basically, they they pretty much I use the um, I use the term Moneyball because again I'm a sports fan, so we, you know about Moneyball, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Right, how you use analytics and analytic right. approach to pretty much um, be as efficient as possible to max, but to maximize you know the outcomes. Yeah. And I just don't think you can apply analytics no. to culture. No, I don't think that. that yeah, you can apply it to, to to sports in some respects. We right. see, we see yes. it all the time yeah, with basketball and yeah. what's most efficient and right. but. I don't think it translates well to culture. No. And I think you find yourself on that list by first embracing legitimate culture. Right. Or not even on that list because that list is all about data. So, like, and I know you didn't do this because I went into this. So the list pretty much had this criteria, and it measured things like um, household income, um, you know, engagement. I think there was even social media engagement, like how people engage with um, maybe like Spoleto online. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked at a lot of other societal numbers, but you can't look at those numbers. You can't compare Charleston to a Charlottesville to an Austin to a you know insert city name here because um, all of us all of us deal with disparities at different at different rates and not only that Charleston ha- has a huge disparity gap so it if does. you're looking at household income and and home ownership and how all these other um, numbers of who who patronizes these festivals or these ex- exhibitions right off the bat it's already disproportionately um, inaccurate because it doesn't it doesn't account for the disparity the wealth gap the you know, a lot of the black folk who are on the peninsula don't live here. They work here. Right. Yeah. So I don't I'm sorry. I kind of jumped it and kind of no, asserted I, my stance. But yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it? What is it? What, I, what's your frustrations with the? I just don't think Charleston really seriously engages our culture, our right. history, our right. present condition, our experiences. And you can't do that effectively when everyone who's making the decisions right. uh, are white. That, um, that that's 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 a that's an uncomfortable truth that everybody you know they'll we, we'll put on our little forums and we'll put on our little this and our little that and we'll oh yeah it sounds great in that context but are you willing to move to the side? That and I challenged you when I first met you. Not only that, not just white, but cisgendered, um, heterosexual. Um, you know, and I, I where where are the spaces for the non-men, the femmes, um, the gender non-conforming. Um, where the where are the spaces for a plethora of different type of people who add different perspectives, mm-hmm. and the thing too, I think that having those different voices at the table also serve as a check and balance system mm-hmm. that keep things honest. This city is so dishonest about culture. Definitely. And I think what I what I took exception to is that the article um, said, "Hey, how can we get on this list?" And I rejected the premise. And I'm saying, no. What about like we just create our own value systems? Our currency cannot be data. It, it can't be mining our own people for data or mining our visitors for data. And I think, too, what the city often does, that it conflates tourism with culture. Those are two different things. They did. I don't even I don't think their currency is even data. Oh, it's, yeah. OK. I do not think it. I think tourism has been set up in such a way in the city that it just creates a layup for everybody else. Right. You don't have to do anything. Right. If you're in the arts business, you really don't have to do any. You don't have to have any real provocative, honest 
right. programming or anything like that because you just figure, well, this is a tourism hotspot. We're going to do the bare minimum. We can even operate at a loss and I'll still keep my job. It'll, it'll be cool right. for those people right. who can act like you talk about disparity. Right. Right. It's not I've what I've realized by having to deal with. And, and here's the thing. A lot of the people who work at and who wield power at mm-hmm. this institution mm-hmm. or this organization or this business what I realize is they don't even know how to communicate with black people. They don't know how to market to black people. They don't even and know don't how to, to like and because they don't have to. They don't have to. They they, they don't have to. And but where I, what I'm saying is, as long as I'm on this um, in this area, as long as I'm a resident of Charleston County, you will have to. Um, yeah, I know I'm just one voice, but I'm just really waiting for that time where people understand the reason why I'm so ferocious when it comes to just even just speaking up. is because I know I'm the only one, right? I'm not saying I'm the only one that can fix it. I'm not saying that. I'm not ever, ever, ever saying that. Right. I'm saying that I don't hear. We're, we're yet to see. And I know those people are here because they, they reach out to me in my DMs. Um, they tell me, oh, if I didn't have a job, I'd be, you know, a lot. Of, and, I, and I get that. That's mm-hmm. very real. I can appreciate that. But I can't wait to where our culture pushes back more, and not just when, um, not just on the on the like the overtly painful things like being displaced from um, because of gentrification or um, our children not having adequate um, access to to, uh, to quality education. Right. Those things are real, and I, and I see people come out for that. Even though people uh, complain, I see communities come out for for the kids. I really want us to start pushing back on some of these these societal and cultural norms here. They are not normal. It's not normal. For um, all of Gullah uh, culture to be, or most of, most of Gullah culture to be reduced to just performative arts. And, and like, I love the mm-hmm. fact, again, so when we do something right, like have the exhibition that's currently at the Halsey, or even um, the, the exhibition that's currently at the City Gallery. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it's Moja Festival time. Right. And shout out to Marcus Amaker for Free Verse Festival, I right. believe, kicked off already. Right. So there's a host of events going yeah. on during Moja. Asia, uh, may, uh, right. it's just. Shout out yeah. Asia. Shout out um, Asia. Ill Vibe. Every, Ill Vibe. Yeah. A number so many dope yeah, creators. Um, yeah, so many. And, and Marcus, Creators, excuse me. I, I think, yes. And I think, um, thank you for saying that distinction yeah creators yeah um you know marcus has really um i think he did he did he really did well this year in terms of who he's he's asked to come to charleston and be a voice here mm-hmm. um but it's just the tip of the iceberg we have to continually push our city because our city does have funds that they allocate oh definitely um and it's, it's amazing how much um cre- how much create how creative the city can get in terms of facilitating things that are just really classically white and safe. Right. Um, but things that are like maybe that, that re- require a little bit more ingenuity. Right. And vision. Yeah. The city's very reluctant to, to, to kind of um, support financially. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to the times where we all kind of just kind of, there's a chorus of folks saying, you know what? I love Gullah Culture. I love Moja. I love, um, what's the other one? Um, what's the other one? That's the black um, Moja. And then there's, isn't there another festival? There's Moja, there's Spoleto, there's Piccolo Spoleto. Uh, um, yeah, but it, well, those, uh, yeah, Spoleto and Piccolo Spoleto, they do engage black voices um, to kind of just kind of go back to that again. Um, I think a lot of our storytelling starts at slavery mm-hmm. and ends um, somewhere around there, but don't really show the full complexity. Right. Um, so we want more. Shout out to the Avery that's about to open, reopen their doors this fall. Definitely. Um, I really do. I I hope the Avery. I know the Avery has already have like their 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 quarters planned out, but I really do hope that they have the capacity. Um, and I hope that people reach out to them specifically about doing something with the sixteen nineteen project. Right. That only makes sense, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It 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 definitely is. That date is very important. I think for 
for me, yeah, for a lot of us, project, for all of just, us. I hope that there's like hmm. a, um, a scholarly approach to the 1619 project. Um, and that we kind of can like in, in a in a conference setting, you know, we have the Charleston Hope, you know, the commemorate, you know, it's a white led um, event initiative to commemorate, I guess, the Mother Emanuel massacre, and it's to me is the most toxic and one of the most pointless displays of of white magnanimity I've ever seen in Charleston. Mm. I'd love to see black work, black thoughtful scholarship given the same platform as the Charleston Forum. I just would right. love to see that. You know right. what I mean? Like, given yeah. the same, yeah. you know, foot. What do you aspire, what do you kind of want, um, you know, what do you kind of want from culture here and as it pertains to our history being, you know, discussed in the 1619 Project? What do you want to see more here? I want to see, I want to see more black people with the jobs that some of these white folk have. Yeah, please. Because they're doing the bare minimum. I, I'm just being, I'm going to be really, really, really honest because I watch a lot of these artists are my friends and I watch what they have to do with the with 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 so much opposition and with little resources and support and we all know what art can do for a city we've all know, we all know what art has done for society what art continues to do it's an economic driver you can use art to teach you can use art to build community mm-hmm. art is a form of resistance in all of this and I think that for this city to be as rich as it is in history and culture and experiences, whoever, somebody, heads got to roll. You know what I'm saying? In, in that way, I, I think yeah, it's I th- stale. I, the art scene is stale. I think, I think considering um, what blacks, um, what, what black folk have had, what black folk, black Americans have contributed to the, to the arts and culture world, I think what we contributed here to, to, to Charleston specifically and again going back to the 1619 project what it because it covers everything from um, you know historical trauma yes but it talks about uh, like I said government healthcare arts education health yeah I said healthcare but yeah it, it goes back to, to, to uh, reconstruction and, and all of that it goes it goes throughout the lived experience here and the, specifically to the arts piece and, and the voices they engage within the 1619 project the, the poems and the artists that they use to create the um, some of the visual art that's in the supplemental, um, the supplemental uh, document, it shows that we 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 deserve to have our stories told. Like right. we deserve to have the same. Like when you go into the Gibbs Museum, um, when you go into the Gibbs Museum, and there's a, there's rooms upon rooms dedicated to, you know, old white, and I'm not gonna call them my forefathers, but someone's forefathers. Right. Um, you know. Yes, they rotate in other like black refractions and things like that. But we need a permanent place, a permanent foothold um, for our own our own art and culture. Um, Something that we commandeer. But I'm with you 100. percent We got like two minutes. I'm with you 100. percent I'd love to see some black queer folks, some black just uh, some really radical, innovative minds really running some of these initiatives. it, it, you know, this is uh, this is what I definitely wanted to end with, and I forgot this. You know, we're we're heading into Labor Day, and um, as we wrap up here uh, on Miked Up, it's really important to acknowledge the the contributions, the work, the labor of Black folk. This city doesn't do a good job, in my opinion, at doing that. I am a 38 year old woman with a degree and no, a, num- a number of certificates. I'm going back to school soon. And I, I have a lot of great experience. However, I've never been this this insecure in terms of employment in my life. And I've got the most skills that I've ever had. Mm. Um, I've got technical skills. I've got, um, you know, modest, very modest graphic design skills. 
Um, I create media. I'm on the radio. And this city has to create spaces for black labor and, and black thought and black ingenuity and black scholarship. Mm. And our labor needs to be respected. In the coming um, days, I'll be highlighting um, you know, black labor online. And a show coming up will also focus on that. Benny, thank you for coming on today to talk about the 1619 Project in Charleston. Thank you for having me. And until next time, folks, um, yeah, keep keep an ear out for that uh, that black labor piece because I'm going to be engaging some voices to talk about that. And, um, yeah, I shouldn't be this uh, job insecure for sure. Right. But um, until next time, thanks for listening to Mike the Ponome. Stay black, y'all. <laughs>